Welcome to the AVA Journal Legal Rebels podcast, where we talk to men and women who are remaking the legal profession, changing the way the law is practiced, and setting standards that will guide us into the future. In the last decade, influence culture has exploded, and lawyers are not immune to the draw of platforms like TikTok and Instagram Reels, making short-form video content giving people an inside look at the legal profession. Among them is Alex Sue, a former lawyer and head of community development at the contract management software company Ironclad. He created the TikTok handle Legal Tech Pro to offer funny takes on law firm culture, amassing tens of thousands of followers in the process. My name's Matt Reynolds, a legal affairs writer at the ABA Journal, and I'm thrilled to have Alex join us to talk about how he got started on TikTok, plus any advice he has for lawyers thinking about making social media content. Hi, Alex. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. So um, was there anything in that introduction I missed? Anything you'd like to kind of underline before I ask you a little bit about your content creation and stuff like that? Not at all. I think the only thing I'd add is that in addition to TikTok, I'm very active on other social media platforms too, although I am probably best known for my TikTok content. And talking about your TikTok content, can we talk a little bit about your origin story, how you got into doing skits on TikTok and how it kind of all started? Sure. I spent six years practicing law before going into legal technology. Uh, When I went into tech, I joined a startup as a salesperson and it was really hard to stand out from the crowd. I was selling software to lawyers and traditional cold calling and emailing methods were pretty challenging. So I started to post content on LinkedIn and this was in 2016 before I think most people were doing it. And I continued to post and I started seeing some traction. But it wasn't until the pandemic hit when I really tried to experiment with different content formats. About six months into the pandemic, I filmed myself uh, on TikTok with some skit that was from my law firm experience and it ended up doing pretty well. I actually filmed a a series of skits, Uh, they all did well, but my fourth video went absolutely viral and, and so I picked up an entire audience overnight. That's when I decided, okay, this thing might be really working, so I'm gonna keep doing it. And, and that was three years ago and I still make TikToks today. And so like a lot of um, influencers, they kind of got their start during the pandemic and lockdown. Was that the same case for you? Were you kind of stuck at home and just kind of twiddling your thumbs a little bit and looking for an outlet? Or was it more nuanced than that? You know, I've been posting content online since I was 18 years old. Uh, I started off with microblogging and so I've always done it. When I became a lawyer, I thought, well, this is a nice hobby that I've probably got to let go of. And so I would, you know, post on private blogs. I would post on Facebook with just my friends and family, but I never really put content out there until, again, I said 2016. 2016 was when I had a business purpose behind my content creation. That was the first time I thought, hey, if I post stuff on on social, maybe it'll lead to good business results. It was slow going at first, but uh, I I started posting about legal technology and nobody liked it. Uh, Then I started writing about my journey from law, leaving law to join technology. And and that's when my content started traveling. It started getting more views. And so by the time the pandemic hit, I've been posting content on LinkedIn for three or four years. So it wasn't as if I hadn't, it was the first time I did it, but it was the first time I experimented with video content. And can you walk me through that first skit? And and what do you think was like the secret of your success? Why why do you think that, um, that 
short form video took off in particular? The first video I made, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it might have been around contracts because I was working for a contracts tech company. I didn't go on TikTok in my very first video. It was actually recorded on Zoom and edited in uh, iMovie, and uh, it, it was terrible production, and it took me hours to create. But I think the reason why it did well was because it was making fun of a situation that anybody who's worked at a law firm could recognize but most people in the outside world didn't have that perception. So most people watch Suits or these TV shows and have this glamorized idea of working at a law firm. I think my video exposed some truths about law firm culture and people really resonated with it. And I posted it on LinkedIn, which was not known to be a video platform at the time or a content platform at the time. And so it was easy for me to stand out because I was speaking to people who found it relatable and it was a novel format, and so it did well. And I posted a few of them, uh, and each one did a little bit better than the previous. Uh, and then I had heard of TikTok, which I always thought was a lip-syncing, dancing platform for teenagers and, and not for someone like me. But a general counsel reached out to me directly and said, hey, your videos are great, you should get on TikTok. And I was like, okay, if, if this general counsel, if this person who doesn't fit the idea of who I thought was on TikTok was watching it, maybe I should try it out. And so I did, and it was much easier to edit the videos on TikTok. And I made a couple of videos, you know, with the similar themes of law firm culture and making fun of the tension between legal and sales. The fourth video I ever posted was basically making fun of a first year associate criticizing a paralegal, not recognizing the paralegal for the, for the knowledge and skills that they had. That very specific video got millions of views. That was the one where I, I posted and, and all these people from my past started texting me, started DMing me saying, hey, I saw your video. And I was like, you're on TikTok? And that's when things really took off. So it was about a paralegal. It was about law firm culture. And wh wh why do you think that short form video in particular kind of took off, that TikTok video took off? I think it was a combination of factors. I think obviously it was relatable to people who've, who've worked at law firms and have encountered junior lawyers who think that because they have a law degree, that they somehow know more than a veteran paralegal. And I got the idea for the skit based on someone else who had posted the similar dynamic between a new doctor and an experienced nurse. So I think that's the reason why it was so compelling is because it could be super relatable to people who worked at law firms, but also relatable to people outside uh, of law firms who, who may recognize that, you know, maybe in their field, there are junior, well-educated people who don't respect experience. And so I think that's why I had legs. And I also think that from a macro point of view, very few people were posting jokes and content about legal. Most of the content created by lawyers was very serious, academic articles, very dry. And so my content stood out by virtue of the fact that there were no producers, no content creators doing what I was doing. Meanwhile, there were a lot of people interested in this content. So it was like a supply and demand kind of balance. So, so I think, you know, there were some macro factors. There were some uh, very specific factors to my videos. Uh, I was very lucky to have made the videos when I did. And I, I should kind of underline, you're talking about like paralegals and contracts, but your videos, are, uh, I find them really funny. Even though I'm not a lawyer, I, I think they're really amusing and re really enjoyable to watch. 
How did you kind of decide to approach it that way? Because I've seen a lot of content on Instagram Reels and TikTok that seems to take this kind of comedic approach to give us kind of quick takes on things. What were kind of your influences? And why do you think like TikTok is so well suited to kind of, you know, like short form comedy? I think TikTok is well suited because you don't have very much time to engage the audience. You can imagine, you know, we've all sat in meetings where the speaker is really boring you, but you're kind of stuck there. A lot of media is is like that. So, for example, if you're reading an article, you're kind of stuck reading the entire thing and and some people will just click away from it or or move away from it. And, and at the same time, that may not impact how much that content is broadcast. So, like, basically, content, most content is pushed on people. TikTok is interesting because it tracks how engaged a viewer is by the second and if you can earn that attention for a certain amount of time, we'll call it five or 10 seconds, TikTok will then broadcast that content to lots of people. It's a signal of quality. And so it is very ruthless, but at the same time, it is very audience focused. That combined with the fact that it's very easy to share. You can download these videos and and text them to your friends and they spread like wildfire. I think those are some factors behind why, why you can get a lot of views very quickly. And so that's kind of the mechanics behind why I think the videos did well. I would also say that people use comedy for a lot of different reasons. Most people use it to entertain. Some of us who post content that's humorous that also tackles important topical issues, you know, we, I think we, we believe that if you're funny about something, you can get away with speaking some truths. If you're not funny about it, sometimes it can come across as preachy or like complaining, which certainly I've been guilty of in my past content. But when I kind of figured out that I could say, make fun of some some things, it allowed me to say things that I previously couldn't say. So so I would say those are some of the dynamics behind uh, humorous content and, and on TikTok. One of your TikToks that I really loved is the one about the law firm partner. And you mentioned kind of getting to the truth of um, the matter. And one TikTok I saw was, it was kind of about a law firm partner is just working from home in his pajamas and kind of drinking on the the job and and playing video games. Was that inspired by reality or did sometimes feel like you can really kind of push the envelope in terms of getting laughs and, and that kind of thing? It's an exaggeration. We all know partners work very hard. But the work is very different, and the work is perhaps not as mind-numbing as as more some more junior lawyers. So, so that's kind of why you know if if you want to depict a truth, sometimes you do have to take some creative liberties with it. And I I do think my audience recognizes that law firm partners are not out playing video games all day. Um, but at the same time, if you made a video that said, "Oh, this partner is doing you know going to conferences, you know juggling this and that," that uh, might technically be true, but but it would uh, it would lose its humor. Um, it would lose your, 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 the message. And so I think, and, and this is true beyond TikTok, like any type of content, you have to fashion some type of story, something compelling. And while you may not necessarily always make up and exaggerate in the way that you would on TikTok, you do need to be flexible about how you tell the story. And, and that's something I learned kind of along the way. I, I have no formal training in this. I just posted stuff and see, saw what, what, what stuck and what people liked. And talking about what stuck, when, when did you kind of realize that you were onto something and that you were, you know, you're having an, an impact that was reaching an audience and, you know, giving you kind of some celebrity as well? You know, I, I mentioned early on, like I started posting regular content in around 2016, 2017. At first, I wasn't sure what I was doing. But over about, after about a year, I got my first inbound sales lead. Somebody reached out and said, I love your content. By the way, uh, I, I saw that you're in sales. Like, we'd love to check out your technology. 
that was the first moment I thought, okay, well, this thing's got power. And so when I built my, my audience in the intervening three to four years, I made a couple of strategic decisions. Like number one, I'm going to focus on legal only. And number two, I'm only going to create business focused content. I'm not going to create content that's like, you know, lifestyle or, you know, personal things, even though, you know, lots of people have done very well by doing that, like sharing pictures of their families and things like that. I want to be narrowly focused on the audience I wanted to get in front of. And so that meant some trade-offs about what types of content I would put out. When the pandemic hit and I started experimenting with video, that trickle of sales leads exploded into a flood. Uh, I was working at a startup at the time and you could see that website visits to the to our company which was an un, like at the time an unknown startup spiked like my my content was driving traffic to the website and people were direct messaging me to to have sales conversations and so that's when i realized okay this thing really has legs my targeted approach was working like i i had a hunch that it would work but when the pandemic hit it like exploded and so that's what gave me the confidence to kind of double down on it I don't think I would have done it otherwise. I think I would have just treated it like just a fun experiment. But because it had legs, I kept on leaning hard into it and, and just kind of running, running along with it and seeing where it would take me. And do people like stop you in the street? Do you ever get like uh, people asking you for selfies and that kind of thing? I do. It was very, very strange at first, especially since I go to conferences. I've always gone to conferences and nobody recognizes me. They're just like, oh, that's, that's that guy. He's a vendor. Like, yeah, I can see from his name tag. But when the pandemic hit and I went viral a couple of times, I mean, literally, this was like when we were all isolating. And so when I would go out for a hike, I remember the first time somebody came up to me and said, hey, you're that guy on YouTube. And I was like, oh, it's not me. I'm not on YouTube. And they're like, no, you, it's you. You make videos about law and they're really funny. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy, right? This is like, I couldn't believe it. Since then, I've started to experience that a bit more. Like people would start, I remember I was with my, my wife and my daughter. We were like, really, it was hectic at the checkout line at Target. And then somebody came up and said, hey, can I take a selfie with you? Uh, so it does happen. It's certainly not most people. I, and most of the time, you know, I think what I am is more uh, well-known among the legal community, but not mainstream. I, I think a lot of influencers are known mainstream, and so they're more famous. But anybody who is like tied, who works at a law firm or tied to law in some way, maybe working at a legal department or in law school, they do recognize me out there. And is, it's always fun, but it's also kind of jarring at the same time. And what about audiences? Like, well, I think we've spoken about this before, but like when you look at like legal influencers, who are they generally trying to target in terms of um, the audience that they're trying to reach? So I know we've spoken in the past about a division there, kind of division. Yeah, it's all different types. So there are some legal influencers who happen to be, you know, law firm owners, and perhaps they're in, you know, more consumer practices like personal injury, divorce, family law. They create content that's designed for a general audience and they will have very large sets of followers, like millions. For someone like me and, you know, what I consider, you know, my peers, we're more niche. We want to focus on the audience of lawyers. So we're not trying to get in front of just anyone. We just want to get in front of the legal community. And so there is a divide there. And depending on what your goals are, uh, especially around your business, uh, your career, your professional goals, you might take one or the other track. Okay, well, that seems like a good place to take a break to hear from one of our sponsors. If you're like me, you're probably a bit frustrated with the state of our political system today. Democracy Decoded, a podcast by Campaign Legal Center, examines our government and discusses innovative ideas that could lead to a stronger, more transparent, accountable, and inclusive democracy. Listen at democracydecoded.org 
to their new season, which takes a deep dive into democracy at the state and local level by highlighting different ways to ensure that every voter's voice is heard. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. So, Alex, um, if people are thinking, or lawyers specifically, are thinking about dipping their toes in content creation, what would be your tips for getting started? Well, the first and most important thing is you have to understand what your goals are. Not everyone's goal is going to be to get as many views and followers as possible. Maybe your goals are more limited. Uh, Maybe you're trying to do business development as a partner. Maybe you're trying to build your professional profile for career opportunities. Uh, I think understanding your goals and how content creation can help get you there, that's the most important thing because that informs everything else. Once you've done that, the second thing to consider is which platform should you focus on? A lot of people try to focus on all different platforms. I post on multiple platforms, but that's because I've been doing this for so long, I've diversified. In the beginning, I was only focused on LinkedIn because that was the platform that helped me accomplish my own goals. LinkedIn has a very strong business audience. Uh, A lot of lawyers like to use it. And so uh, that was a great place for me. So once you've decided to focus on a platform, I think you'll start to understand the nuances of the, the communities that live there how to use the various features and, you know, what your authentic voice is. And so I would say, know your goal and then know where to focus on specifically on the platform. Those are the two big, broad pieces of advice I'd give. And what about the practicality of getting started? What do you, what do you need to make a short form video to get started? Well, if it's short form video that you're interested in, I would say that all of these platforms have everything you need in them. So uh, I would say a phone, a phone that could take videos that has like TikTok or Instagram reels on it, that's enough. And that's because in part, a lot of people get caught up with like production value, um, making really highly curated uh, short form videos. The trend nowadays is to do very casual ones. And some of the best performing videos in legal or otherwise are just people wearing like, I don't know, their pajamas, recording on the couch, like a a short, funny skit. It is the content and message that is truly compelling. It's not, you know, what you're wearing, how the transitions are, you know, like it's, it's really just about the core message. So I would say just start getting, you know, if you want to get started, all you need is a phone. Now the, the content itself, that's where you have to put a lot of thought into it. You want to make sure that the content, the themes that you're hitting on are going to resonate with your target audience. A lot of times, for example, lawyers will create content that's designed for other lawyers. But if you're say a partner that's serving technology companies, maybe your content shouldn't be about law and it should be about what it's like to work at a technology company or, or, or inside jokes within, you know, the tech community, the startup community. I was always trying to get in front of a legal audience, and that's what's always informed my choices when it comes to content. And we often hear about burnout in the legal profession, and we also hear about that with content creators too. Like, how do you, you know, if you're a lawyer and you're thinking about getting into this, how do you balance, like, having a really demanding day job with you know, creating content and building an audience? It doesn't take a lot to start getting involved with social media. And, and, and I think that it's helpful to kind of talk about why content creation and social media is so powerful. Uh, it lets you operate with leverage. And what I mean by that is like, you can make something once and it can be viewed and consumed 
by tens, hundreds, thousands of people over the course of, I don't know, days and weeks. So, you know, when I started creating content, it was because I was a new dad. I was struggling to juggle working and being a father to a baby. And so I felt that content creation could let me gain leverage on my time that I didn't have very much of. Like if I go to conferences, I have to travel, I have to meet people. It's just, it's a lot. So for very busy professionals, I would say, um, understand your goals and then use social media to like fit into that. And what I mean by that is like, for example, let's say if you're interested as a law firm partner in generating business, I would recommend LinkedIn as a starting place because that's often where in-house counsel reside. They like to go on, on LinkedIn. And so you can, you don't have to like do what I do. You can just comment occasionally. And when you comment on someone's post, that gets broadcast to a lot of other people. And you can see from how many people like your comment, like whether you're resonating with your target audience. Over time, you can, you know, become more consistent and regular with it. Like every step of the way for me, I didn't invest my entire career uh, and all this time into content creation right from the start. It was a little, I was a sales professional and I was like doing a little at a time, maybe like 15 minutes a day, a little bit here and there. Sometimes I would take time off. I wouldn't do it all the time. I would take months off at the time even. But because I had done it regularly over the course of years, it builds up. And because I was targeted towards this audience, I think that the returns started coming, the results started coming uh, eventually. So I would recommend understanding your goals and starting small and leveraging social media's power to broadcast your thoughts and ideas, you know, while you're with your family, with your sleep, while you're sleeping, while you're on vacation, like just when you're working. So, so yeah, that's what I would recommend. And I know like sometimes when you're creating content, it can feel like you're shouting into the wind sometimes. Did you have those kind of dark moments where you were like, oh, this just isn't working. I'm not gaining a foothold here. And how did you kind of power through that and just keep at it? until you finally could make that breakthrough. Matt, that was the entire early experience. I think the first year uh, I would text my friends and say, hey, can you like this thing I posted on LinkedIn because no one's liking it? I don't want to seem like I don't know anybody. But the key lesson is like, once that happens, you have to pivot. That's when I pivoted to writing about my career journey. And then that got traction. And I started analyzing, okay, is this getting the kind of attention that I want? And then I would continue to pivot. And so, yes, you will always feel like you're shouting into the wind in the beginning. And today, because so many people are on LinkedIn, and I'm using LinkedIn as an example, but this is true elsewhere too, start by commenting and engaging on other people's posts. If you want to get in front of a legal audience, find people who are well-known in the legal space. If you want to get in front of, I don't know, the oil and gas industry, like find out who, who's got a large following there and start engaging there. A lot of how to find what content you should produce has to do with experimenting and then seeing how the world reacts to it and then making adjustments along the way. I think it doesn't happen all at once. You don't, it's not brilliant. It's more like, you know, you just kind of figure it out one step at a time. And are there any like ethical considerations that lawyers should be aware of if, if they're thinking of doing this? Things they should be aware of kind of balancing their, their day jobs with uh, doing content creation? Absolutely. I think I had a lot of freedom because I was not practicing law. I was in technology. Uh, as a practicing lawyer, you want to make sure you don't breach any of your duties of confidentiality to your clients. But also there's a lot of non-solicitation rules and ethics about, you know, what type of marketing you can or can't do. That's also why I've always been interested in the, you know, the, I guess not the consumer side, but the B2B side, the business side, because when you're trying to get in front of corporate legal counsel, like corporate legal departments, there are fewer restrictions as opposed to if like, say you're a personal injury lawyer trying to get in front of a regular audience. 
So, so those are some of the considerations. I am not an expert on these topics, but um, again, that's because I'm in tech and not in, in practicing law. You do want to consult and make sure that you're, you're not breaching any of your ethical duties. And what about like once you build an audience, is burnout real for content creators? And, and how do you combat that? How do you cope with that? And how do you kind of adapt when there's that pressure? I'm assuming there's that pressure to keep, keep producing and keep feeding the beast kind of thing. Um, how, how do you cope with that? I mean, there is, there's a lot of burnout and I certainly go through it periodically. When you, when, you know, my first videos that I produced, I don't think they were that great. I think they were okay, but they like garnered a, a sharp, strong reaction from community. Over time, as people started getting used to my content, I think the bar kept on getting raised and, and it requires you to like make even better quality content. And a lot of creators fall into the trap of becoming more outrageous and cartoon characters. They start posting engagement bait, hot takes just to get a rise out of people. And that's why it's always important to understand what your goals are. And if, if you find yourself feeling burned out, if you find yourself being tired of producing content on this treadmill, take a break. Give yourself permission to, to take time away from content creation. A lot of people don't realize this, but nobody notices. I've taken days, weeks, even months off at a time, and yet people still remember. I mean, the fact that people, they know me because of my TikToks is pretty incredible to me, given that I've dramatically cut down the number of TikToks I've made in the past year, like dramatically. And just because I was getting a little burned out, I was getting a little tired and, and I diversified to other types of content. But at the end of the day, you know, again, it's got to serve your goals to be sustainable. And if you're getting burned out, just take a break. We'll be right back to our conversation with Alex Sue. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com slash simple. Are there any downsides, any kind of downsides besides the burnout, things you that people should be aware of when, when they're stepping into doing this? Yeah, when you put yourself out there, you open yourself up to criticism. Some of it will be unfair. Some of it will be fair. How we all deal with it is, you know, is very individualized. It's definitely, definitely, definitely personal. For me specifically, I would say by putting myself out there, I received a lot of like upside and, and benefits, but I also experienced downsides. You know, I, I, I fell into the trap of like looking my own name up uh, on forums. And, you know, while some people say nice things, some people say uh, pretty harsh things and, and, and are critical. I, I've heard that you shouldn't really read these comments because it's not good for your mental health. Uh, and I do try to stay away from it. But, but when you put yourself out there, you know, with the upside comes the downside. And so if you're not prepared for that, maybe this isn't for you. But if it doesn't really bother you, what people say, and, and a lot of times it also de depends on what you're actually, what kind of content you're putting out. The more engagement bait you put out there, the more hot, the more controversial takes you put out there, uh, the more criticism you'll get. So again, it comes down to, to what you're trying to get out of all this. And what was the worst thing someone said to you? What can you say? Is it, is it, was it something that kind of shook you when you were, were doing it? You know, in the beginning, I think the criticism was around, hey, this guy's just 
putting content out there just to get likes because he's trying to sell something to us. It was very much, you know, the, the, the criticism was about my intentions. Uh, over time, I think it's evolved to either, you know, like this content doesn't depict the truth. He's being too, exaggerating too much. And so, you know, that's why I've, you know, also stepped back a little bit from the, from the parody videos because I do think that um, you can only make the same joke so many times. And after a while, you might feel encouraged to like exaggerate too much. Uh, I've shifted to more long form content. I started publishing a newsletter and writing more substantive content to get away from that. So I uh, like, like with, as with everything else, you kind of see how the world reacts to what you put out and then make adjustments. So, so that's like the criticism, you know, while it hasn't gotten to my head, I have tried to take away from it how people are responding. And you mentioned the newsletter, and I know you, you, you're you on LinkedIn, aren't you, and TikTok. Are you also on Instagram Reels as well? I'm on Instagram Reels. I'm also on Twitter. And on Twitter as well. And obviously in the news a lot lately, we've, we've been hearing about like a, a, a TikTok bans at the state and federal level um, and in different countries. Has that shifted how you approach content creation at all in terms of the, the platforms that you use? And, and what do you think the future holds for TikTok um, and legal influencing? I think legal influencing has always been around. We didn't call it that. We just called it, you know, a rainmaker or like uh, somebody who, you know, somebody who owns a law firm and they, you know, go on radio shows or, or they might uh, put a billboard up. It's just a different name. It's just where, because that's where social media is where a lot of people go now for consumption as opposed to TV, radio, and et cetera. So I think it's around, to, it's here to stay. Beyond that, I mean, it's really hard to, create any specific rules or playbooks or formulas on how to succeed with it because social media changes all the time. And that's why I've diversified to multiple platforms. Certainly, you know, when you're, when you're building your content, you can't, you don't have the luxury of doing that because you need to focus. As I mentioned early on, I'm a big fan of platforms like LinkedIn. I mean, it's, it's probably more likely to be around, stick around longer than something like TikTok. But what TikTok has shown us is that short form video is pretty powerful. So, you know, as with all things in life, there's nothing without risk. The more risks there are, the more reward there is. When I started on TikTok three years ago, there was talk of a ban then. And a lot of people did not post content because of that. I did, and you know, I reaped some of the rewards from it. So everything is risk and reward, and, and, and any of these things can disappear overnight. But, but I would say um, you know, LinkedIn, to me, is probably the one that's probably going to stick around for the longest. And what about like the, the the platforms that are out there, like Instagram Reels, LinkedIn? Are you kind of watching to see which of those platforms might, you know, kind of step in to fill the vacuum if TikTok is banned? I mean, I am. A lot of my success on TikTok didn't really come from TikTok itself. It came from reposting the videos on LinkedIn. And so uh, I've always viewed LinkedIn as the core, the main platform. If TikTok does disappear, I do think that a lot of the, the space that it used to occupy will be filled in by Instagram Reels, but a lot of it will also be filled in by LinkedIn, by other platforms. And so I think the interesting question is what happens to the younger viewers who you know, rely on TikTok more heavily than, say, uh, an elder millennial like myself or Gen X. Like Gen Z uses TikTok very heavily. And so I don't know where they're, they're going to go. I don't know if there's going to be a new platform, but certainly we're all social media users today and we all do it on our phones. And so it's only going to be a matter of where this attention goes if TikTok disappears. 
Well, thanks so much for talking uh, to me about this today. And um, I'd encourage our listeners to take a look at your content. I, I find it really fun and entertaining. And um, where can uh, listeners find you if they, if they wanted to check out your stuff? Well, I would highly recommend you um, connect with me or follow me on LinkedIn, Alex Sue. Uh, you can find me on TikTok as Legal Tech Bro. And I also write a newsletter at alexoffthelecord.com. Um, but, link, you know, I have so many accounts all over the place. I would recommend LinkedIn as a starting spot um, because that has links to everything else. And honestly, you know, depending on what content platform you use, you might see a different side of me. So, yeah, find me on LinkedIn and, and, and take a look at what I've posted out there. Okay, well, thank you so much. I'm Matt Reynolds with the ABA Journal, and thanks very much for listening to this today. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalRebels.com, LegalTalkNetwork.com, subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find both the ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download the free apps from ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.